The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 1, as the children make their way to Children's Church. Thank you, Mark, for keeping an old stuffed preacher on track this morning. All right, I'm going to see how many of you are good husbands before we move into this morning's Bible study. How many of you, your wife cooked over Thanksgiving? Would you just raise your hand? How many of you? All right. Now put your hands down. Now, how many of you honored her and ministered to her by overeating her cooking over Thanksgiving? It, it is. Thank you, gentlemen, for fulfilling your husband responsibilities. I just think if Charlene's going to spend all that time in the kitchen, it is my responsibility to at least eat one of the two pecan pies <laughs> and, and to enjoy it with just a couple of scoops of bluebell that she went out into the snow to purchase so that I could enjoy it for Thanksgiving. We see on the slide to my left just a host of activities. Uh, Krista mentioned many of those for you. As the month unfolds, it's going to be a busy season here at Emmanuel. I want to just call your attention to two. And one would be, we've already mentioned on December the 15th, the March for Missions. I want you to be ready to bring your Lottie Moon Christmas offering that morning. But on December the 18th will be Christmas caroling. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to reach out into the community around us, the neighborhood around us, and to invite those friends and neighbors to join us for the other date I want to bring to your attention, our Christmas Eve service. I hope you're planning to gather with us on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a beautiful uh, candlelight service, carols. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper again as a church family. It's going to be a wonderful time of worship. I promise you the service will not exceed about 50 minutes in length. And so it'll be a time for you to come with your family, worship the Christ child and the Christ of Calvary, be able to return to your home and enjoy all of those Christmas traditions that are important to you and your family. So you make plans to be here on Christmas Eve, the 24th. We come this morning to a new sermon series, a series entitled Angelic Messages of Christmas. We look into the text of God's Word during the story of the birth of Christ, and we see three encounters uh, in the Bible of angels speaking to major characters in the Christmas story. We find angels who speak to Mary. We find angels who have a message for Joseph. And then on the night in which Jesus is born, we have angels who speak to the shepherds. And each of three, these three messages give us a glimpse of how we should respond to the Christmas story. This magnificent theological story of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so this morning we begin this series by looking at the angel's message to Mary. We're going to examine them in chronological order. And so the first such message comes from the angel to Mary. Stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. Luke chapter 1, and beginning with verse 26. You follow along reading silently as I read aloud. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth 
to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived in her old age. She who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, thank you that for all of time, these, these messages from on high are recorded for us. Lord, we thank you for this message from heaven sent carried by an angel to be delivered to a young girl named Mary. And we thank you that from this message and Mary's response, Lord, we see how we should respond this Christmas season. We see the only correct way to respond to this story of the coming of the Christ child. Lord, may this story not be simply a piece of literature for us today. May this story not be something that is simply warm and tender. But Father, may this story be a pattern for my life and a pattern for the lives of this congregation that we may respond like Mary to this story. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, we're going to see three aspects of this story this morning. First of all, we're going to see the angel's Prophecy, And we're going to examine that prophecy. Secondly, we're going to see the virgin's perplexity. And certainly, she is perplexed at what is spoken to her. And then finally, finally, we're going to see Mary's proclamation. So look with me, beginning with verse 26, as we look at the angel's prophecy, this prophetic utterance from the angel. It's given to a maiden, Scripture teaches us, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Gabriel, the messenger of the Lord, is dispatched by the Lord to this city called Nazareth to deliver a message. Verse 27 tells us to a maiden. Let's see what we discover about this maiden in verse 27. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin 
The very first thing Scripture tells us about this maiden is that this maiden is a virgin. It's an important point in the text, for it is a point that is alluded to three different times throughout this passage of Scripture. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit is saying to all of history, as we reflect on this story, it is vitally important that you understand this maiden is a virgin. Verse 27, to a virgin, first time it's mentioned, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name. The second time this point is underscored, the virgin's name was Mary. Come with me, if you will, to verse 34, where it's mentioned a third time. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Ladies and gentlemen, to understand this prophetic utterance from the angel, we must begin by understanding this girl's lot in life at this moment in her life. Three times the scripture calls her a virgin. Theologians tell us, historians tell us that probably this young girl is a young teen at this time in her life, perhaps as young as 12 years of age. She is sexually pure. It's implied in the verb. It's implied in this word virgin that's repeated over and over. And so at this point in the text, all we know is that this young girl who is sexually pure is receiving a message from heaven. Let's see what else we discover about her. Verse 27. To a virgin engaged to a man. Ah, a second point about this young lady. She's, she's in her early teens, perhaps as early as 12. She's sexually pure. But now we know that she's, the English word is engaged. Literally, the word is betrothed. You have to know something about the marriage process of the first century in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, a, a father would arrange a marriage for his daughter. He would negotiate the bride price, and when the bride price was paid then that young man and that young girl became betrothed. Betrothal lasted for approximately a year prior to the wedding feast when the actual marriage would take place. During that year-long relationship of betrothal, they were legally bound together in a relationship much stronger than in our thoughts today when we think of engagement. It was a year for these two young people to get to know one another, hopefully to grow to love one another. They were to remain sexually pure throughout that year. No physical relationship between the two. But if the relationship didn't blossom, the relationship could only be ended legally by divorce. So now we understand something about this girl, this maiden, who's about to receive this wonderful message, this prophecy from the angel. She's a young teen, perhaps as young as 12, and she's betrothed to a man. Now look what else the scriptures tell us. Come back with me, verse 27. To a virgin engaged to a man, his name is Joseph. We learn a little more. She's engaged, she's betrothed to a man named Joseph. Let's see what else the text tells us about her. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And at this point in the text, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we know about this young girl about to receive this angelic prophecy. She's young, 13, 
14. Some say as young as 12. It doesn't, it doesn't compute to our mind of the year 2019 in American culture that a, a young 13, 14, perhaps as young as 12, would be betrothed, but she is in her culture. It's very normal in her day. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, and her name is Mary. And it's almost as if the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, places a period at that point. Because that's all we know of Mary. The Bible doesn't say that she comes from a family of political influence. She doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that she comes from a family that is financially wealthy. They are not. At this point in the text, we know nothing about Mary other than she's young, she's sexually pure, and she's betrothed to this man named Joseph. But then the Bible tells us one other thing about Mary that we must grasp today. Come back to the text with me. There, there's one other crowning star told us of Mary in this passage of Scripture. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, here it is, one other glimpse into this young girl's life. And coming in, the angel said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. The word favored that's used in that verse of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, can literally be translated graced one. Ah, now we learn something about Mary. Something more than simply her tender age. Something more than simply her sexual purity. More than simply her legal relationship with a man named Joseph. Now we come to understand she is graced by God. And it's such an important point in the text, ladies and gentlemen, that it's mentioned for us again. Look with me, verse 30, if you will. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace with God. Ladies and gentlemen, what we discover in this passage of Scripture is this young maiden, this sexually pure maiden, this maiden who is betrothed to a man named Joseph, has been showered with the grace of God. That's what we gather from this text at this point. For ladies and gentlemen, what this tells us is Mary's role in human history is simply an act of God's abundant grace. Mary doesn't enter the Christmas story because Mary is super spiritual. Mary doesn't enter the Christmas story because Mary is sinless. Mary doesn't enter the Christmas story for any reason other than she has received the abundant grace of God. And that is a principle throughout Scripture. Think with me about Abram. Genesis. Come with me in, in the slide to Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant. Why does Abraham receive this glorious covenant from God where God is going to bless Abraham and those who bless Abraham will be blessed and those who curse Abraham will be cursed and Abraham's descendants will be as great as the sands of the sea, Scripture tells us. Why is Abram 
graced by God. Because of his wealth? No. Because of his power? No. Simply God's abundant grace in his life. Think with me about David. Come with me to 1 Samuel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. We studied this passage of scripture a few months ago. You remember? So Samuel goes into Jesse's house to anoint a new king for the children of Israel. And, and Jesse goes through the role, if you will, of, uh, uh, excuse me, Samuel goes through the role of Jesse's sons from one son to the second son to the third son. Finally, he gets to the end of all those who have gathered. And Samuel says to Jesse, don't you have any other sons? And Jesse said, yeah, there, there's one very insignificant son. He's so insignificant. We didn't even invite him to the shindig tonight. He's out watching the sheep. Samuel says, bring him in. And he's young. And he's ruddy. And he has no characteristics in his life at this point that would indicate that he should be the next king of the children of Israel. But God's grace flows into his life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a biblical principle. Any person who steps onto human history with any significance, any importance, only steps onto human history because of God's abundant grace. And the same is true for you and I this morning because it's true of all the children of God. Look with me one last passage of Scripture. Let's go to the next one, guys. John chapter 1. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Somebody should have said amen. Because here's what that verse is teaching. If you're a child of God this morning, you're not a child of God except for any reason other than God's abundant grace. You're not a child of God because you have great biblical knowledge. You're not a child of God because you're faithful to Emmanuel Baptist Church. You're not a child of God because your parents were the most wonderful Christians you've ever known and they raised you in a Christian home. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God, you're only a child of God because of God's abundant grace. The same grace that rested upon Abram. The same grace that rested upon David. The same grace that rested upon Mary is the grace that rests upon us. So we come to this passage of Scripture, this angelic prophecy, and we see this maiden, and she's simply a young Jewish girl of insignificance, save for the grace of God in her life. But look at the message that this angel gives this young girl. Look with me, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. The first thing the angel says to her, after he assures her that she's found grace with God, favor with God, he says to her something that, that startles her, that shakes her very core, Mary, you're going to have a baby. 
Can you imagine what raced through her mind? 13, 14, maybe 12. What's racing through her mind? You're going to have a baby. We see what races through her mind in just a moment in the text as she begins to share how perplexed she is. But right now, can you just imagine what's racing through her mind? It's nothing compared to what races through her mind with this next statement from the angel. Not only does the angel say, you're going to have a baby, he begins to tell her, and your baby will be the Messiah. Look with me, if you will, beginning verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Uh, The word Jesus there meaning God is salvation. And then beginning in verse 32, he layers messianic phrase upon messianic phrase. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Messianic phrase. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Messianic phrase. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Messianic phrase. And his kingdom will have no end. Messianic phrase, and you come to verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Oh, what a prophecy. To this young girl, this insignificant girl, only significant because of God's abundant grace in her life, she's going to have a baby and her baby... He'll be the Messiah. The one the Jewish people have been looking for for 400 years. The Messiah. Now wonder what's racing through her mind. 12, 13, 14, sexually pure, but I'm going to have a baby? My baby is going to be the Messiah? The anointed one? The long-awaited one? The one through whom God will redeem all of mankind? My baby is going to be the Messiah. No wonder we come to the second point of this message this morning, and it's entitled The Virgin's perplexity. Look with me, verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement. The word perplexed there means to greatly trouble. You ever received news and it troubled you? Maybe it was a phone call in the middle of the night, it troubled you. Maybe it was a text you received and it troubled you. Whatever the message happened to be and from whomever it was sent, the two combined troubled you. The Bible says that Mary is greatly troubled. We can understand that, can't we? 12, 13, 14. Sexually pure. No physical relations. She's known no man. She's going to have a baby? That's... That's astounding enough. That's confusing enough. That's troubling enough. Her baby's going to be the Messiah? That is troubling. And now Mary must be thinking, how do I tell my parents? 
How do I tell my dad that, that I'm going to have a baby? As soon as I tell him that I'm going to have a baby, he's going to think the very worst of my moral character. How do I tell Joseph? How do I tell this man that, that I'm betrothed to, that I've committed myself to? How, how do I tell him? He knows that we've had no relationship that would produce a child. He, he knows that we have been sexually pure. How do I tell Joseph I'm going to have a baby? Don't lose sight of the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that Mary lived in first century Hebrew culture. In the Middle East, if she were to be found expectant before marriage, her betrothed husband had the right to drag her out of the city and have her stoned to death. Not only did he have the right to do that, but her father had the responsibility to protect his family name, to protect his family honor. His, her father had the responsibility to drag his daughter out of the city and to execute her for bringing shame to the family. She is perplexed. She's wrestling with all of these Thoughts that are flooding in her mind. I'm going to have a baby. My baby's going to be the Messiah. She says in verse 34, How can this be since I'm a virgin? Her perplexity spills out into her conversation with the angel. How can this be? How can it be that I'm going to have a baby? How can it be that I have to have this delicate conversation with my parents and with Joseph? How can it be that I'm going to give birth to the Messiah? The Messiah is mentioned then again in verse 35 as the angel continues the prophecy. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. How can this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How can this be? The power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So what do we have in this text so far this morning? We have a young girl, 12, 13, 14, betrothed to this man Joseph, yet sexually Pure. She's been told by an angel that she's going to give birth to a baby and that baby is going to be the Messiah and she is extremely perplexed. And then comes the crowning moment of Luke chapter 1. Look at Mary's proclamation. Look with me, verse 38. How does Mary respond to all of this that's swimming around in her head, this swimming around in her heart? How does she respond in this state of confusion and this state of perplexity? And Mary said, Behold the bondservant of the Lord. The word bondservant there means female slave. Mary responds to this prophecy in her life that she's going to give birth and she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And, and Mary doesn't argue. Mary just simply says, Behold, the female slave of the Lord. 
may it be done unto me according to your word. This verse has had such a profound impact in my life that when I became the grandfather of a little girl, I began to pray multiple times a week. Father, help Mary Margaret to be like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Help her when she doesn't understand life to simply say, through a simple faith, Lord, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done unto me according to your word. Lord, grow her up, raise her up, so that when life is confusing and life seems to be falling apart, even when she doesn't understand what's happening, that she might just lift her eyes toward heaven and say, Lord, behold, the female slave of the Lord. May it be done unto me according to your word. When her sister Audrey was born, I added her to that prayer list because of the power, ladies and gentlemen, in this simple thought. When life was falling apart around Mary, when life was coming apart at the seams, her response to the Lord was one of simple obedience. Lord, I don't understand how I can have a baby. Lord, I'm confused. I'm perplexed. I I certainly can't put my mind around the fact that I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. But I want to respond in simple obedience unto you. Now, the question is this. How do you respond like that in life? Because you've been there, haven't you? Oh, Oh, Gabriel hasn't come to you and said you're going to have a baby and the baby is going to be the Messiah. But life's been confusing. Life's been hard to figure out sometimes. And there have been moments in your life that you found yourself totally perplexed. So in those moments, how do you just respond in simple obedience unto the Lord? Maybe, maybe Mary understood Proverbs. Being raised in a a Jewish home, perhaps she had been taught from Proverbs this powerful passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Maybe, maybe she just claimed that as her life verse. I don't understand it. I don't have to understand it. I'm not going to trust my own understanding. I'm just going to lean in obedience upon the Lord. Or maybe, or maybe Mary just really believed verse 37. Look with me, verse 37. The angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Maybe she just latched onto that verse. I'm going to have a baby, though I'm sexually pure. I'm just going to latch on to nothing is impossible with God. I'm, I'm 12, 13, 14 years of age, but I'm going to be trusted with giving birth to the Messiah and caring for and raising the Messiah. I don't understand that, but I'm just going to grasp this simple principle. Nothing is impossible with God. 
Friend, I don't know what you're wrestling with in your life as you enter this Christmas season in 2019. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's falling apart and you don't understand why. You're confused and you're perplexed. Nothing's impossible with God. God can take that relationship that you think is completely over and, and, and is completely down the drain, if you will, and God can resurrect that relationship because nothing, nothing's impossible with God. Maybe here and you're facing a health crisis and, and you're not sure how this story is going to be completed. You've been to the doctor. You've heard that diagnosis. You're going through all the treatment. You're not sure what the end of the story is going to be. Listen, nothing, nothing's impossible with God. Whatever it is that has you confused this morning, perplexed this morning, bewildered this morning, just respond in simple obedience unto the Lord for nothing is impossible with God. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed. Oh, the faith of a young Hebrew girl. Not overly religious not overly spiritual. She just believed there was nothing that was impossible with God. Friend, I wonder if you're here this morning and your thought coming into this service is that my life is so off the rails. God could never forgive me. God could never accept me. Friend, nothing's impossible with God. Whatever is in your past, he'll forgive. And whatever is in your life in the present, he will lovingly embrace you this morning through his son, Jesus. Nothing's impossible with God. Maybe you came and you're wrestling with one of those perplexing issues of life that I mentioned a moment ago, or perhaps it's one I would never even think of today, but it's causing confusion and a lack of understanding and bewilderment in your life. Friend, nothing is impossible with God. Would you come this morning to these steps and turn them into a prayer altar and just lift up that confusing, perplexing situation unto the Lord in prayer? Maybe you're here this morning, your membership is somewhere else. God is leading you to be a part of this church family. We would welcome you. Maybe you need to come and submit to believers' baptism. We would celebrate that with you. I just want you to hear me say one more time this morning, whatever you're struggling with, nothing is impossible with God. Father, would you move among your people this morning? Would you bring some to faith in Christ to seek forgiveness that through faith in Christ they might receive your loving embrace this morning? Would you bring others to unite with this church family? Would you bring some to this altar to simply lift up their perplexing issues with you in prayer? Father, thank you that nothing is impossible with you. And for that, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.